your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Snap back, McCaffrey rolling right, looking to throw the football, steps, throws to downfield, J.D. Spielman makes a catch, five, touchdown, Nebraska, Luke McCaffrey to J.D. Spielman, and it's a one-score game again here in Lincoln. Sports Nightly during the holidays is presented by the Woodhouse Auto Family. With over 6,000 new and pre-owned vehicles in stock, visit woodhouse.com to browse the entire inventory. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are, Tuesday night, Sports Nightly. Hope you had a great day today. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of your evening with us here tonight. Here's what we have on the program for you. Parker Gabriel of the Lincoln Journal Star covers Husker football is going to be along. We'll get the latest from him on what he's hearing from the recruiting trail. We are eight days away from the early signing date. Husker still at 14 commitments Kind of hoping, kind of checking. We'll keep our eye on social media tonight even to see if something breaks on that front for Nebraska. But we'll get the latest from Parker and his reporting, including uh, some more details about the extension for Scott Frost contract that was announced a couple of weeks ago. The Journal Star had a report about that this afternoon. We'll get all the details from Parker. Hour number two, it's our volleyball show for the week. Oscars headed to Madison, Wisconsin, leaving tomorrow for the Sweet 16 round where they'll play the Hawaii Rainbows on Friday afternoon. The other half of that bracket has Texas A&M out of the Southeastern Conference against the host Wisconsin Badgers. The winners will meet on Saturday for a chance to get to the Final Four in Pittsburgh in one week. This will be our last volleyball show of the year with the head coach, John Cook. The Huskers coming off the two wins at the Devaney Center last weekend, beating Ball State and Missouri. Hour number three, Top Ten Tuesday is back, and we're going to dive into the bowl season. All the, all the matchups have been set. For the upcoming bowl season, those bowls will begin a week from Saturday. We're going to name our top 10 bowl matchups. This will be fun. We always have fun doing that one. And we'll hear from our good friends at Woodhouse. Uh, They uh, are continuing their food bank drive, so we'll have the Woodhouse interview for you coming up in our number three. And as always, phone lines are open and available for you at 866-HOSKER-1, 866-487-5371. Ben McLaughlin off yesterday, back in today. Nate and I talked about it last night, and we also talked about it with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com about the way the playoffs ended up falling out. Hard to argue, really, with those four teams that made it. Yeah, I mean, I don't don't know that there's a huge argument um, to put anybody else in. I thought the teams that had a case lost, um, teams that, you know, could have done some damage or at least, you know, stood up and said – you know, we got a chance or we're going to get in. And unfortunately, they didn't take care of business. I think heading into the weekend, um, you know, Oklahoma was probably third on, on my list of teams that I thought would get that fourth spot. Uh, but, you know, thanks to Utah and um, and to Georgia getting beat and, and to themselves and, you know, obviously beating Baylor, uh, they, they took a lot of those candidates out of the running. So, you know, I think for the most part, uh, the four teams that that got the spots deserved it. Um, now, who was one and who was two was the big debate uh, because of the way Clemson Tigers are playing football right now. And you know, to try and avoid that matchup in the in the first round, I think was was huge. And and I think that is a little more up for debate. I think there's a lot more gray area on who was one and 
who was two and uh you know why the committee decided to do what they they did to me i wasn't shocked that they picked lsu um you know it just can't seem to get away from that that sec tie uh you know they beat an overrated georgia team in my opinion in the bowl game he smacked them pretty good i i never really thought georgia was that great this year um they got a couple key wins in their division uh, against florida and that basically that propelled them to you know to that to that high ranking and i i don't know i i didn't really feel like they were they were should have been in that conversation but a drubbing of them uh to a lot of people say oh well the number one team just beat the number four team by however many and the other team's home state so you know they deserve it when ohio state um had just beaten what three ranked teams in the top 15 in a row a couple of those on the road um you know to beat a, a really good wisconsin team in a conference championship game, game who he already smacked earlier in the year i thought was pretty impressive and i think that that resume uh if you were to do a blind test compared to lsu's resume i don't think it's as cut and dry as the committee made it seem yeah i i think when you have to beat penn state michigan and wisconsin to end your season and to do that in only one game being on your home turf pretty impressive finish for ohio state i said this last night i think Maybe what threw LSU over the top when you look at the body of work might have been the win at Texas early in the year. It was a really impressive non-conference win, which, you know, the the best non-conference win for the Buckeyes was beating a really good Cincinnati team, but it was at the horseshoe for that game. Aren't you surprised Clemson's favored over Ohio State? I know it's only two points, but the boys in Vegas have been impressed with what they've seen from Clemson. Yeah, I mean, they've shoot what was that stat they've won five games by 35 plus right now and the scary thing is you know they were able to avoid a couple upsets when trevor lawrence wasn't playing well right and and now he's playing well and i think their defense has finally gotten it going um playing really 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 good football right now that's going to be a heck of a football game i can't i mean it's that that could be that could be your national championship right you know that 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 has national championship um, capability right there. A lot of people think that could be the national championship game. Now I think LSU's tremendous. Yeah, absolutely, too. yeah, absolutely. But wow. Really good. I mean, it, it would have been the same if LSU played Clemson. Correct. I mean, that that very well could have been your national championship game. And um, I don't think Clemson has seen anybody close to as good as Ohio no, State. No, they haven't. And so when they're used to making a move and being wide open, they're going to make a move and go, "Oh, the guy's still with me." I, I think it's going to be a different deal. I haven't seen Clemson in person. You and I both saw Ohio State in person. I'm hard-pressed to think somebody's better, but but maybe they are. Yeah, I mean, to me, I, when I look at what I, on the field what I saw with Ohio State, I, I think, you know, my thought was it's hard to imagine a better team than that. But if there is a team that, that stacks up to, the, to them, that's a national championship caliber team. I mean, I, I didn't see Bama up close. I didn't see LSU up close. I didn't see – Georgia or Clemson or Oklahoma but if if they looked just physically like Ohio State did in the way that they played against the Huskers at Memorial Stadium that night not just against Nebraska but all year that's a national championship caliber team and if you're not that then in my opinion you don't belong in a playoff that's right. why I'm seeing these brackets released I'm saying well well if it was an eight-teamer this is how it would, I don't care to see that because to me there are three definite questionable with a fourth of national national championship caliber teams this year so that's who i want to see play for it i don't want to see a team that gets rocked in their 
in their bowl game or their conference championship game get a shot at it. I don't right. want to see Georgia in a playoff. You had your shot. Yeah, you had your shot. I don't want to see Baylor in a playoff. You, you had two chances against Oklahoma. I think the weakest thing is that people say the conference championships mean nothing. No, they do. They're an elimination. They're mm-hmm. an elim- they were in a total elimination Saturday. Bader got eliminated when Oklahoma beat them. Georgia got eliminated when LSU beat them. Utah got eliminated. And Utah got eliminated by Oregon. That's that. The playoffs really started on Saturday or Friday because the Pac-12 game was on Friday. All right, let's turn our attention to the Huskers. The class is at 14. Um, I know that inside the office they've been hoping to sign 20 to 22. That means a lot of movement has to happen in the next eight days. Uh, I, I'm, I'm surprised, a little bit shocked, Ben, that we've not seen some commitments from this past weekend. There were five official visits. By all accounts, they were, went really well. Uh, Nebraska, I'm looking at Rivals' site right now. I'll pull up 24-7 here in a minute. But Rivals has Nebraska currently with the 14 commits, ranked 36 nationally. Pretty good, 14. I love this group of 14. I just wish it was bigger. I wish it was bigger than 14. And I know I harped on this some in the summer. We, we both did back in June when a lot of people were already at 15, 16 commits, and Nebraska was at 8 or 9. And we're like, Phew, this seems a little light. And now here we are, eight days out, it's still at 14. I'm nervous about this. I know I wouldn't say I'm concerned yet, but I'm nervous that the the number has kind of been frozen at 14 here for a while with eight days to go. Yeah, I mean it's to the it's to the point in recruiting season now where every time you open your Twitter app, you're hoping to see one of those commits. You're hoping to see one of those you know little graphic things that they put out. And unfortunately, it's been a whole lot of nothing. Um, I mean, even if the coaches feel great about. You know, a handful of these guys on signing day. I mean, do you really want to gamble, you know, going to signing day with, you know, nine guys where your hit rate needs to be seven of nine or eight of nine or nine of nine? I mean, do you really feel that confident? That that definitely is, is concerning. Um, you know, to see some of the targets that Nebraska has and where their relationships are at with, you know, other teams, that's certainly concerning. Um and I think the other thing to me in, in you know, kind of reading between the lines, and again, I could be way off, just my opinion, I'm seeing a lot of junior college offers go out right now, which tell me it's maybe some of the four-year guys that they've invested the time in, they don't think um, potentially good news there. So they want to make sure they build the relationship with some of these junior college players that uh, maybe have a little more sense of urgency when it comes to their timeline and, and committing. Because, you know, at this point – with what you said eight days left yep and and we know what percentage of players is left to choose from after this december signing period so yeah i mean i'm definitely concerned um you know i always say on the show that i don't really get bothered too much by it until the actual signing day but i've also been in those rooms when we're waiting for lois to come in or we're saying you know how many times have we been in a room and say, all right, this guy's committing in 15 minutes, and you're waiting around, and they don't pick Nebraska, and then you're going, oh, now what? You know, So, yeah, it's not, not a fun feeling, not a good feeling, and uh, you know, we'll, see. we'll see what happens, but it's, it's crunch time for sure. 
Sure is. There's one more weekend, and Nebraska will have some visitors this weekend, and then the period goes dark Sunday night. You cannot – it's a non-contact period. You can't be reaching out to them. They can – recruits can get in touch with you, but you can't reach back out to recruits starting Sunday night. You can't go visit anybody else after Sunday night. The coaches are out again today. Scott Frost, uh, the latest report shows that he's down in Kansas seeing the uh, young – the con, the young man from Derby, the offensive lineman who committed – Back over the summer, I think they were also maybe in Lawrence to see Turner Corcoran, who committed back in April on the spring game weekend. Two big offensive linemen that are going to be added to this group. I think Greg Austin and, and Coach Frost are, are down there uh, this uh, today doing that. They were up in South Dakota and Iowa over the weekend seeing uh, – Huttmacher and also Gunnarsson. So they're kind of making the rounds here in the Midwest to see the young men that are committed, those in-home visits that are so uh, critical to have. But um, it's, it's at 14. I, I, I'm, sh- I'm, I'm really surprised that coming off of the weekend, something didn't break Sunday night or yesterday, and certainly not today. Uh, we'll get Parker Gabriel's take on this. If you have some thoughts about this, we'd certainly love to have you share those at 866-HOSKER-1-866-487-1. Five three seven one. So that's what we have on the program here tonight. We'll come back, get some calls, talk to Parker Gabriel as you're listening here to Sports Nightly on a Monday night. We're back, Sports Nightly here on a Tuesday night. Greg Shaw, Ben McLaughlin, with you, and delighted to be joined now by Parker Gabriel, the Lincoln Journal star. Hello, Parker. Staying warm. Hey, Greg. Yeah, yeah. I. I like the winter, although the wind the last couple of days was a little much. Whew. Man, that thing was nasty. Makes your cheeks hurt when that stuff happens. <laughs> um, you always get like between between our office and 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 your studio. Like when you cross Ninth Street, you always get the wind tunnel, and man, it's brutal out there. Sure is. It's uh, it's cover your face with a scarf time of year. At least at least for a couple of days. Sounds like it's better. Uh huh better tomorrow well you had some some news you broke here later this afternoon kind of more details on the scott frost extension correct what's what is the latest on that yeah it's just it's pretty simple really the um the addendum um that bill moose and 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 scott frost signed um just signatures just this last weekend actually um that was announced just before nebraska played wisconsin back in november really straightforward um two extra years on on scott's contract which takes the deal through 2026, same base salary, $5 million. Um, all of the buyout language basically just um, resets. So it's as if it's basically as if Frost is at the outset of a seven-year deal, just as he was two years ago when he was originally hired. You know, I think some people were, were puzzled by it. I think Nebraska looked around the country and you saw Florida State and Arkansas, who hired at the same time Scott Frost was hired here, We've already made a change. Didn't you feel like Nebraska felt like they were they feel like they've got the right guy and just wanted to show some 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 confidence in him moving forward? Yeah, I think so. And I think um I don't think that the timing was coincidental um given sort of where Nebraska was in the recruiting calendar. And I think but I I don't think it was a ploy either. You know, I think it was something that was gonna be done. Bill Moose has a history of these sort of you know, rollover type deals when he's got a coach that he likes in terms of just same, you know, same terms extended out a little further. But one of the things that I've talked to a few people um, about this, and and one of the things I really think is true is that it's really easy, you know, for me or you or a Nebraska fan who knows 
Scott Frost story inside and out and all of that to just assume that everybody else knows the commitment level here. But I, I don't think that that's necessarily true. Like if you're a 17 year old kid being recruited in Miami, you might not know the extent to which this administration is committed to a long-term overhaul. And then you see coaches around the country, a couple of them being fired in the midst of their second year when it's not going well or whatever. I just don't think it's probably as common knowledge in other pockets of the country as it is here that that wasn't going to happen here. And so it was a nice um, boost, I think, for the university to be able to say, hey, look, not only is that not happening, you know, we just extended them, that sort of thing. Yeah. Parker Gabriel's with us from Lincoln Journal Star. You mentioned recruiting. Uh, this class is at 14 after the decommitment of Hodge late last week, and it's been at 14 for a seven- or eight-day period here. Should Husker fans be worried that the number hasn't gone up? Where do you think this thing stands with eight days to go? I, I, don't, think, I don't think so. It's certainly in an interesting spot. Um, and it, would they like to, you know, the number to be a little higher probably? But I'd say this. I don't, I don't know for sure. People always talk about silent commits and that sort of thing this time of year. But I would say this time of year, you know, if, if you're a kid who's going to announce his commitment and you're, you've come this far and, and you make your decision, let's say, yesterday or today or whatever, I think most kids at this point opt to just announce that on signing day rather than making it official or, or making it public a week before. Um, not everybody cares about having the ceremony and picking up the hat or, you know, whatever. But I, I do think that some people at this point in the game, you know, you might as well do it on signing day or as part of a ceremony or whatever. And so I think that um, if you could see, I, I would imagine that maybe the number for the Nebraska coaching staff is not right at 14, like it is for us to only have sort of public knowledge uh, that we're working off of. But it certainly I mean, I counted off the top of my head um, yesterday. I wrote down all of the names that that uh, Nebraska, you know, that I thought were possibilities. Um, that most of whom, I think, all of whom have visited, and I wrote down 19 names off the top of my head. And so, that gives you an idea of even if we're talking about five, six, maybe seven more, something like that. Um, you know, between now and, and December 18th or 19th or so. Um, that's an awful lot of names that are still in play at this stage in the game. You just laid out what could be a really nerve-wracking for Husker fans Wednesday. I mean, that, that's what, if that's true, they're gonna be, and there's going to be a lot of suspense next Wednesday going into that thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's going to be a busy day for beat writers, too. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's shaping up to be really interesting. I don't – I mean, you never know. A guy, you know, a kid can decide he just wants to say it. Um, whenever I wouldn't be surprised if we hear about a couple, maybe you know two or three between now and and uh, December 18th, which is signing day. But there's a lot of layers to it. Maybe maybe you hear on a couple, maybe you don't. I think it's possible that there's you know in the neighborhood of a half dozen um, that Nebraska's in on, or maybe even a little more that make their decisions on that day and then it's important to keep in mind too because nebraska is recruiting a bunch of junior college guys but the junior college signing period is not just 72 hours next week it goes through january 15th and so um there's going to be there's going to be maybe a couple between now and signing day and then maybe some on signing day and then maybe some after signing day and so 
uh, we're not we're not quite out of the woods yet in the in the early signing period. Here. I think Parker. Most people would say wide receivers, linebackers. That's the greatest need for this team. Do they still have? Are there still on their board guys that could help them in those two spots? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would agree with you. And I, I think they're looking for a little bit of bridge help on the defensive line too. Um, they like the next wave, but um, you know it's pretty young with seniors graduating. But in terms of receivers and linebackers, yeah. Um, to you know the, the the top of the board guys, so to speak, at wide receiver, Omar Manning's a junior college player in Texas. Um, Justin Robinson's currently committed to Georgia. Um, he's down in in McDonough, Georgia. Um, they're actually recruiting against Georgia for a couple of wide receivers, Justin Robinson and Marcus Fleming, who's a kid in in uh, Miami. They actually have a wide receiver taking a midweek official visit starting tomorrow. Uh, Alante Brown, who uh, reclassified and went to a prep school this past year, um, originally signed with Texas Tech last year. So there's four guys right there, receiver, linebacker, sort of a similar conversation. Bunch of junior college guys, um, and then the and then a couple of high school guys who they're in good position with. Caden Johnson, who's an outside linebacker up in Minneapolis, and Jamari Butler, who just finished up his official visit this past weekend. Um, and goes to TCU this weekend, and will be deciding between Nebraska and TCU. Um, he's a guy who maybe you could hear about before signing day. Parker Gabriel's with us from the Lincoln Journal Star. It's um, obviously a disappointing December again. Three straight years without a bowl game. Uh, we had Matt Davison on the program last night. He talked about how the guys were, were back in the weight room this week doing some lifting, uh, and then they're done because finals are next week. They won't have them lift during that. And there's been some reports of some off-season surgeries that have taken place. Pretty normal stuff, right, this time of year for football players? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, I think you look at um, – I think you're exactly right. You know, you're trying to finish up school. You're going home for a couple of weeks. And I think there's always a – you know, there's always a decision if a guy's hurt, you know, there's always a decision, um, you know, do you do a, a procedure late in the year and end somebody's season? Do you do it after, you know, as soon as the season's over? A lot of that is based on, you know, what's the player's, um, you know, playing outlook during the season. And then also, you know, can, what time's up the best for a guy being ready to go for spring ball, or if not spring ball, then summer conditioning, and so on and so forth. And so um, that's sort of the norm this time of year. Um, it's obviously they don't want it to be the norm in terms of not getting ready to go to a bowl game, um, but it'll be interesting, um, you know, to see kind of how much progress. It's going to be behind the scenes, but, um, you know, you got to find a way still to make progress between right now and when – uh, the the official winter conditioning program starts in January. Yeah. Well, buckle up. It's going to be a wild eight days, I think, for you guys who are on this beat on on a daily basis. It could be a lot of stuff zinging back and forth. Yeah, that's good. We got to, you know, it's, it's good to have stuff to write about, and there is certainly no shortage of it right now. Very good. Parker, we appreciate it. Thank you. Yep, have a good night. This is the Nebraska Volleyball Radio Show right here on the Husker Sports Network. Lexi Sun, will she serve Turner? Yes, she will. Perfect pass. Set left to Burke. Block back! Set point, big rim! Nebraska wins the third! 32-30! How sweet it is! Just sweet with another big block! Nebraska 32! Missouri 30! Wow! With Husker head volleyball coach John Cook. Line drive serve, bad pass, right side, 
Hollingsworth swings, Doug, Nebraska volleyball, this is the middle, Steve Reds, kaboom! Woohoo! 21, 15, all Nebraska! Now, here's your host of the Nebraska Volleyball Show, John Beeler. Greetings, Nebraska, and welcome inside the Bob Devaney Sports Center, Nebraska Innovation Campus. Tonight is for a trip to the Sweet 16. Missouri 22 and 7 is here to face the number five seed, your Nebraska Cornhuskers 26 and 4. Riley sends Libero serves. Nice pass by Kenzie. Right side. Yes, sweet kaboom. She's feeling it tonight. It's 3 2. Nebraska just started. Pull up a chair. Spend the night with the Big Red. Megan Miller services. Megan's got three already tonight. She had two last night. Nebraska's up 3-1. We just started set two. Now left back row. Shot to Bird. Great up back there by Kenzie. Nebraska left side. Kubik off the block and out. It's 5-1. Nebraska. They love it and like it. Nice pass by Megan. The slide. Lauren Stevens. Kaboom. She's waking babies all over North Bottoms at 6-2. Nice pass by Maddie. Set left. Big swing. Lexi's son. Kaboom. 17-14. Nebraska set two. Trying to tie this match up in one set each. So the Lexi Creek pass. Right side jazz. Kaboom. It's in. 28-10 Nebraska. Maddie Kubik sends it over. The bird with a good pass. Back whistle. It's a double touch on the center for Wete. You can't do that. The ball was spinning point and set Nebraska. 25-20. Set two are tied and sets one each. I mean, this is a tournament. It just takes a couple of mistakes and you're out. So it was a huge game and Missouri was a great team. So that definitely gave us a lot of momentum pushing into that third set. It runs with a decent serve. They get past over the slide. Still gets blocked. Lexi Sun throws up two big hands. Nebraska's within four. 10-6 Mizzou in the third. Nicklin again, the short serve. It's an ace. It is for Nicklin Hames. Ace number six for Nebraska. It's 13-11. Missouri volleyball fed to the right side. Remember, many blocked back and covered. And it drops. A block. Kelly Schwartz a block. Nebraska blocking better than cholesterol. That's five blocks here in the third. It's 13. Now 14-11 Nebraska. Now Mizzou down three with the volleyball. Second touch put over. Nearly drops. Huskers back set. Yes. Yes. 16. 12. Oh, big round of the third. Great match. Our fans got their money's worth. We had to go as deep as we had to go all year to win this match tonight. What a great two teams that battled tonight. And I thought our team you know, winning that third game was, was huge. Pass made Megan. Well done. Back low. Kubik in the dig shakes into the crowd. Maddie Kubik. Freshman with ice in her veins. We're tied at 29. Set three. Huskers on it. Bumped over the left. Lexi's going to get a rip off the block and out. A huge swing by Lexi's son. Nebraska 30. Missouri 29. The girls just grinded, you know, ever since this group's gotten together, basically since January, we were kind of, you know, tough on them for matches like this. Just the belief they have in each other and their training and just the belief of, you know, if I, we just do the right things over and over again, most of the time it's going to go our way. And hats off to the girls. I mean, they pulled that one out. That was 100% them for sure. Lexi's son. Will she serve Turner? Yes, she will. Perfect pass. Set left. The bird block back. Set point. Big red. Nebraska wins the third. 32-30. How sweet it is. Jazz sweet with another big block. Nebraska 32. Missouri 30. Wow. Good pass by Lexi. Jack back shot by Jazz. Kaboom. Nebraska 9. Missouri 5 in the fourth. Dylan swings. Great dig by Lexi. Right side roll shot. Jazz it drops. 
Out of system, rolls out, Jazz Sweet with an amazing set from Necklin. And she was fighting the net, never touched it. Kenzie, bad pass, pulls her setter off, set outside, and Kubik still finishes. Maddie Kubik, a side-out machine. It's 19-15, Big Red. Line drive, serve, bad pass, right side. Hollingsworth swings, Doug. Nebraska volleyball, the set to the middle. Stubridge, kaboom! Woohoo! 21! 15, all Nebraska. Set to the middle, tip shot by Omas each. Nice up. Nebraska's got it. Bump set to the right. Jazz, another 23 15 is the Jazz Sweet Show. Good pass, set in the middle. Lauren Stibbert's kaboom! Santana takes it in the face, and she's dazed. Burke's got to get it in, or the match is over. Pass by Megan, the slide. Lauren for the match. She did it! Call the grandkids, make your plans for Madison. Nebraska takes the second round. And heads to the Sweet 16, a four-set, tough win, hard-fought victory over the Missouri Tigers, and they're loving it in Lincoln. Whew. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to your Nebraska Volleyball Show. Hello, hello. Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock all fall. They tell us this is the final one of the season, win or not, in Madison this weekend. So this is your shot to talk to the head coach, John Cook, 866-HUSKER-1, 866-HUSKER-1. You were just listening to the highlights from Saturday night's three sets to one win over Missouri, that third set instant classic, one of the great sets ever in Nebraska volleyball history. The Huskers had eight set point chances, Missouri had three, and then on the ninth set point chance, Nebraska converts. Set number three for 32-30. Coach, greetings. Greetings, JB. How are you doing? I'm okay, but I'm just admiring the boldness of Nicklin Hames, the young sophomore, down 29-28 in the third against Missouri. I mean, literally, the season really in the balance here. Oh, yeah. Whoever wins that third, she sets back row yeah. to a true freshman, Maddie Cooper. Yeah, yeah, gutsy. Gunslinger. Were you, were you okay when that set was sent to the back row? I mean, because the pass was pretty good. Yeah, she had pass a lot was, of options. It was a really good pass. She yeah. was the back row with a yeah. freshman. Yeah, I liked it. it. It was a big kill, big side out. I was still trying to recover from, you know, giving up a five-point run to even get in the, that deuce, deuce part of the game. So, where, where do they find this inner strength, this belief? I mean, when you're up 24-20, it should be over, right? Yeah. When it suddenly isn't and you're down 25-24? Yeah. You've got to dig deep. Yeah. we So we had that set one. Then, of course, we lost it by letting them come back and tie it. And then we kind of won it again, then lost it, won it, lost it, won it, and finally won it at the end. That was a, It was a dramatic match, or a dramatic game, and uh, went some great volleyball. I mean, Missouri made some unreal plays, oh. unreal rallies. It was. They just lose their libero. Everyone yeah. else is back. Oh, I know. That's your SEC favorite, 2020. Yeah. I, I, I'd vote them SEC favorite right now. Because <laughs> I, I, I think Kentucky loses a few. Yeah, uh, Leah Edmonds is gone. Yeah, she's a senior. Yep. And then, and then uh, we have a, a middle who will graduate. Their setter's coming back though, yeah. from camp, but she's going to be a senior. But Yeah. But so they <clears> – yeah, I don't know what Florida's got, but uh, I definitely – Missouri's – could be really good. Missouri, Nebraska, Wisconsin, everybody back. Stanford loses a ton. Yeah. The hierarchy of volleyball in 2020 will change. But that was just, no matter what I said at the end of the broadcast, no matter what happens the rest of the way, remember Saturday night. That yeah. was just Husker heart. Yeah. Yeah. It was, our fans loved it. Mm. It was very exciting and uh, 
and we found a way to win the fourth and, and win that match, and that's why we're talking, and we get, get to keep playing this week. What do you tell them after set one when Nebraska lost pretty badly at home, and it was one of only eight matches all year? The Huskers lost the first set, and uh, prior to that match, uh, Huskers are four and three after losing the first set. You, know, you lose the first set, it's you know, your best of 50-50 team, a 500 yeah. team. So what do you tell them? Because they came out strong right away in the set, too. Yeah. I just, I just, we just talked about settling down a little bit. Uh, we just we made a bunch of errors. We were a little amped up. I told them just to settle down and, you know, just go to work. And uh, I think we got off to a pretty good start in that second game and got some confidence and rhythm and got it going. So many of us, when we're living life, we, we view ourselves from the outside. We sort of see a possible destination here or there. And so you're not in the moment. How do your players, like, not seemingly even – pay attention to the score like it's just this point you know we lost a game but it's almost like boom turn the page they had a long huddle after set one and there's like a new team how do they do that yeah that's uh, uh we train it you know and, and we work on the mind mental part of it we work on the mindset of next point it's kind of it's in our on our wall in our ready room uh we work on it all year round we talk about it uh and again brett haskell our sports psychologist works with them on resetting having emotional control and so we started off that match and we, we we did not have very good emotional control we were i mean i think we hit four balls in a row out you know so it was it was uh, not pretty and uh, i think I, I mean we missed uh, missed a couple serves and it was just a rocky start for us but i think again i think they were amped up and it's hard not to i mean it's electric the crowd's into it missouri's playing really well and we just pressed a little bit Jazz, 17 kills. She once again plays best when the lights are brightest. She loves December. She doesn't even want to play in September. She just yeah. wants to get right to where the matches count. But I think, what do you think? Who is your unsung hero in that match? Is it Megan Miller? Uh, I think it was Meg was serving, and Jazz got some huge kills for us. Mm. Um, I thought Nicklin set one of the best matches of the year for for us. She set really, really well. I uh, just went through all her sets today with her. And uh, so anyway, I, I, yeah, those guys made some made some big plays. But you know, John, it's a team effort. Oh yeah, a team team. I mean, Lauren Stiverns had a couple of monster blocks and kills. She was a little quiet. Uh, so, uh, but I think I think the key was we 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 served tough when it mattered most. Didn't make errors. Missouri made errors. I mean, you look at the, and the other thing was blocking. We outblocked them. The difference was the serving game. They had 14 errors. I think we had five, and and we outblocked them 13 to five or something like that. So there, there's the point differences for uh, uh, in between those games and the two teams. You lost two great leaders from 2018. So I know that area was an unknown coming into this year. How do you like your two captains now? They're they're developing and they're figuring it out. Um, they're realizing how hard it is, and uh, you have to have a. You know, one thing that Kenzie and Michaela had, they just had that deep belief that spread to everybody. And I think Lauren and Nicklin have that uh, and and are sharing that and, and people are seeing that. But, uh, you know, it's not easy. 866-HUSKER-1, Joe in Crete, Nebraska. Great to have you on the Nebraska Volleyball Show. Hello, Joe. Yeah, I, I, I... I thought uh, John did a heck of a coaching job in that. Uh, that was one of his better coaching efforts I've seen for a long time. I'm talking about just it, it was above the norm. 
for him. Well, thanks, uh, Joe. That's nice. That's nice. That's the nicest thing anybody oh. said to me all week. Yeah, a little, little affirmation doesn't hurt. No, you're the first one ever to say that. <laughs> well, sometimes it's a, sometimes you got to say something good. Uh, you know, the, the the questions I've got are twofold. Number one, uh, what you know, we always hear about this is a very young team. Uh, what makes uh, what makes that young team? Uh, any different than a experienced team if they play well together. Well, and the uh, second thing, yeah, go ahead. The second second thing I want to ask is what uh, what uh, do you expect uh, your start will be at Hawaii, when against Hawaii? That's my two questions, and I'll listen. So what what makes a young team? I think I think what more makes a young team is is you know they're going to play at the level they're capable of playing at. It's just the experience of how to handle situ- certain situations, certain situations that come up as the play is going on, the emotional part of it, the leadership, the grinding every day, the long season. That's where your leaders really can impact the team and, and uh, you know create the mindset that you need and the understanding and don't let people complain because it's just it's a natural thing and uh, it's a uh, you know, it's a long season, so it's and it's a, a you know it's a team, and so not you know there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of dynamics that you know the, your leaders take care of that stuff in the locker room because we're not in there. So uh, those are some of the biggest things that that you look for in more experienced teams. And uh, what was it? What was the other question? That uh, oh boy, it was good. It was yeah. a very good question. Something about how 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 do you how do these kids mature and are they you know still young and then um, I forget part two. Oh, something about Hawaii. I didn't. I, oh I, yeah, I think yeah. How do you how do you beat Hawaii? Something oh, how like do you beat that. Hawaii? Uh, uh, Hawaii is going to come down. We're going to have to stress them with our serve because they their whole thing is middle attack, and uh, so we've got to shut down their middle attack. And make it make it an outside hitter game. That's what has to happen against Hawaii. And they're they're going to dig balls. They're a typical Hawaiian team. They're you know they're they're cagey. They're moving around. They do some cool stuff. They play great defense. So typical Hawaii team. They've had they're having a great year. They've been to one Final Four in the last seventeen seasons after being you know one of the top six or seven programs prior to that. So yeah. they've had a little drop off. So they're trying to. We live happy memories yeah. this weekend. Yeah. Last time they went to a Final Four, they knocked us out in 2002, I believe. Oh nine. They sneaked in oh, there they in 09. Oh. I was surprised too. I thought. How'd they get in? How did they get in? Good question. Who? I maybe I shouldn't be trusting Wikipedia. Maybe you're telling me to stop wow. trusting Wikipedia. But I don't remember them going in 09. I just know it was, it was uh, 2002. They knocked oh, us. Or is that 2001 or no, 2002? It was 02. That the wounds are still fresh on that one. Yeah. And it was in New Orleans, right? Um, yeah, the final four was Kim Kim Willoughby. Yeah, put on a show in the Coliseum. Lily Kalakalakokomea. Yeah, on the outside. Yeah, we just called her Lily. Yeah, Kim Willoughby put on a show, and, and I remember because she was from New Orleans. So yeah. it's funny how those things work out. They, they ran a six-two. Yeah, six-two, yeah. and that was the the hybrid six-two. JB, do you remember they ran? A small setter in the back row. Yeah, and Jen Carey, tall setter in the front row. That's right. And they had a libero. Oh, yeah. boy. She was gravity's worst enemy. Yeah. That ball was staying alive all the time. That was a, that was a tough night. And Charlie, what's his name, was jumping around when it looked like Hawaii was going to win. He's yeah. now the men's coach down there. Yeah. I, why do I, I just try to remember pleasant things. Yeah. Well, let's just remember the pleasant. Okay. Okay, good stuff. Here's uh, Art in Bellevue. Art, great to have you. You're on the Nebraska Volleyball Show. Hello, Coach. Hello. 
Coach, congratulations on a great season and good luck in the tournament. I have two scheduling questions. I know you're that's kind of far away from your mind right now. Will the next Creighton game be at CHI Center, and when will the scheduling for beach volleyball and Hawaii be posted so I can play in my Hawaiian vacation? <laughs> uh, the plan is to play Creighton at the CHI Center, so uh, I have a date. We 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 have a date. We think we're playing. It hasn't been confirmed yet, but I think it's third week in September on a Wednesday night, I believe. And then the Hawaii schedule or our beach schedule is pretty much set. I don't. I guess we'll probably release it in January sometime. That's Sports Info decides that. But spring break is when we're going to Hawaii. So if you want to see us playing Hawaii, we're playing uh, Hawaii, Washington. Cal Poly's going to be there. I think Utah's there. It's uh, Chaminade. This so. sounds like a vacation. Yeah. Is there, no, is there no. really going to be volleyball We're, going on down there? Literally. We, we play every day except for one day. We literally play all day. I love it. I mean, it's just, it's just going to be play, play two teams in one day and then turn around, play a tournament for a couple days, and turn around, play another two to more teams for all day. So. I thought you turned the beach season over to the assistant coaches. Yeah, Jay, well, Jay, yeah, we just went through the schedule last week. But was, you just you make the trip to Hawaii for the heck of it. Well, it depends. That last I haven't been the last two oh, years, okay. JB. I've been you, recruiting. You've Somebody's got to recruit. <laughs> You've earned the trip. All righty, eight six six Husker one. Stay right there, Al. Get back to your calls on the Nebraska volleyball show momentarily. Getting ready for the regional Nebraska plays Hawaii Friday. The winner gets either A and M or the host Wisconsin Badgers. Welcome back to Sarder Heyman Jewelers Nebraska Volleyball Show. And the Sports Nightly Hotline is brought to you by Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices and brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. 330 Central is the anticipated first serve of Nebraska-Hawaii as the Huskers seek revenge for what happened in the regional final in 02. Meanwhile, the Rainbow Wahine has only been to one Final Four in the last 17 seasons. That was 2009. Their head coach, Robin Amau. Santos, she's back. Took over for Dave Shoji, the ageless wonder. Robin was a heck of a setter. Oh, yeah. Mid-90s, played on the national team for a long time. Yeah. Olympian. And you said it's a typical Hawaii team in this sense as well. They got a Swede who's six yep. four, and then they got four spurs. Yep. It's always like this, you know, sort of amalgamation of like you know toys. But island of sort of nomadic toys that come together. They now and then hit hit the jackpot. They're usually in Sweet Sixteen, and they got a heck of a team. Three losses. Yeah, and they mowed down the uh, the uh, Big West Conference. How about the uh, the conference? The Big West with one left. You got the American Athletic Conference with Cincinnati left, and uh, that's all about Jordan Thompson. Three hundred, you know, she's got seven hundred eighty-six kills this year. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, twenty-seven the other night in the win over Pitt. Meanwhile, the ACC's got Louisville, so that's just one apiece. The uh, Pac-12 and the Big Twelve, no, the, the Big Twelve with two, the Pac-12 with three, the SEC with three, and the Big Ten with five left. JB, I got an interesting story. So the Big Ten has the most? Yes. Yeah. I got an interesting story for you about Jordan Thompson. She's the big – she played on the national team. She's yeah. a senior Cincinnati. Everyone missed her. Yeah. She should wait a Cincinnati play for the Bearcats. Yeah. And do you know what happened a couple years ago with her? Not yet. She had Tommy John surgery. No. 
Amazing. She went, she went from nobody knew about her, just an okay player, had Tommy John surgery, and now she's probably going to be in the Olympics. The surgery made her stronger? I want Tommy John surgery. We were, we were ta- I was talking about this with uh, some people in the sports world, and they were saying that there's, there's baseball players now, you know, they, they do elective Tommy John surgery. Let's just get it over with and get it good, good and strong. They used to be a career killer. I know. So I'm just, because you know, they were, that's how I found out about this. They were talking about, I'm trying to remember who I was talking with. And uh, so anyway, uh, Tommy John surgery. Yeah. Elective Ch- changed her. No, I, I don't know if hers. Well, was hers was, I think she needed hers, but medicine. Yeah, crazy. Greg in Grand Island, great to have you on the Sardar Heyman Jewelers or Basket Volleyball Show. Hello, Greg. Hey guys, thanks for taking my call tonight. Just real quick, Coach, the broadcast team you have now with Alun and JB are just doing a fantastic job for you this year. I know you don't get to listen to them, but. But I am curious, sometimes after the matches, my favorite part, honestly, is to listen to Lauren interrogate you. Yeah. And I was just curious if it ever feels like she is a little bit interrogating uh, sometimes. I love her technical analysis. And I do like the question, the answers that you give back to her as well. But honestly, that's kind of my favorite part is listening to you guys break things down after the match. My question real quick, two things. Uh, number one, um, with, with Wisconsin possibly coming up again, do you have already in mind some tweaks and some little things that we're going to see that you might try to do differently to out-scheme them? And then my, my last question real quickly, on men's volleyball, uh, if, it ever, if it would ever come up, um, A, do you think it would work here in Nebraska? And B, would you support it or could you support it? And I'll hang up and listen. Thank you. Great. This is like all-star night questions, man. This is like a volleyball chem lab we got yeah, going on in yeah. here right this now. This is incredible, these questions. Great questions. First of all, we've lost to them twice, 03-03. So we've got to make adjustments. So we're looking at things. We're working on things. And, uh, you know, and we treat this week like we treat any other week. We have potentially three teams we could play. So, or we're playing one for sure and two other ones we could potentially play. So you have to, you have to put in your packages during the week. And uh, um, so we've spent uh, time uh, on how we would – some adjustments we'll make against Wisconsin. Um, one of the big ones is we've got to stay out of the net. We were in the net so many times when we played there. But got to give Wisconsin credit for stressing us to make us go in the net. But men's volleyball, I'm so glad you asked. So first of all, when um, – there's a uh, new nonprofit that started to help promote men's volleyball across the country. They're, they've raised about $3 million. They're giving grants to start men's programs. You get a grant from the NCAA if you start a men's program. So there's a, a monetarily, there's a lot of incentive to start men's programs. And I, I can't tell you how many, I mean, there's like 90-some Division two, Division three men's volleyball programs now ninety to one hundred, and there but there's still only about nineteen Division one. Hmm. So you need the Power Five conferences to start it. Well, you got USC, UCLA, and Stanford in the Pac-12. You got Ohio State, Penn State in the Pac in the in the Big Ten. So I actually I have not talked to Bill Moose about this, but I talked to Sean Eichhorst because we had a meeting with these guys that had the money and were ready to, to give a grant here to start it here, but. We need a couple other Big Ten schools to jump in. I think it would be Ohio awesome. State, so got Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. Ohio State, State, Penn State are in. But yeah, we'd want to get Wisconsin, Minnesota, Nebraska, nice. and maybe Illinois. 
you already got everything ready. F- you know, it's a matter of hiring a coach and putting a team together. I mean, uniforms are nothing, and and you know, just your travel budget. So, again, you got the Title IX issue, which holds that up, and uh, because then you got to start a, a women's sport to to counter that. But I've made the argument that okay, basketball has men's and women's basketball. Swimming has men's and women's swimming. Uh, tennis has men's and women. Golf, men's and women. Volleyball is one of the only sports that we don't have a men's side to it. Mm. And and I think it, it cheats our athletes a little bit. I think it would be cool to have a men's team. Uh, so having said all that, I've been working on Trev Alberts. I think Nebraska-Omaha ought to start a men's program. They mm. don't have football. They're not going to have the Title IX issues. Yeah. They've got a great gym. They could have a, their own niche in the Midwest. They could have their own niche in Nebraska, which is a volleyball-crazy state. What did Trev say? I, he's... He listens, and he likes the idea. He hasn't pulled the trigger yet. But I think I told him, I said, I think within four years you could be competing for a Final Four. 866-HUSKER-1. This is your Nebraska Volleyball Show. We think them up. We count them down. It's Top Ten Tuesdays on Sports Nightly. Broad-based thing. You excited about a lot of these or not? Are matchups that really have you kind of salivating? or? Well, I mean, obviously I'm excited, but I, I was on with uh, our Omaha affiliate, Nick Hanley, earlier today, and it's just I'm just still bitter <laughs> that, that Nebraska's name's in any of these bowls. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to watch. Always excited to watch football. So yeah. Big celebration going on right now at State College. Penn State knocks off Maryland. They did not celebrate like that when they beat us last year. Well, yeah, no, I'm sure that's probably true. And uh, Louisville, the number one team in the country, as Tim just told you. They're down 10 with a minute and a half to go in that game. So, number four has already lost tonight in college hoops. Number one, moments away from losing. All right, uh, lead us off. Cool. Glad to do it. Uh, my number 10, a little surprised this made my list, but um, of all the uh, the other ones I had in the 10 spot, I think this one intrigues me uh, the most. I've got the Holiday Bowl here at number 10. i got USC and Iowa here. Um on first glance, I didn't think it would make my list, but uh, yeah, I think this one this one is certainly uh, worth worth my tenth spot. So, you know, seeing USC and Iowa, and obviously any time a Big Ten teams in a bowl game has my attention. Iowa was able to um, get by Mississippi State last year after getting thumped a couple times in bowl games. So we'll see how they do against the Trojans this year. Tim. Yeah, my number 10, and it, this one was really marginal. I probably shouldn't have put it on here, but it's more of a hate watch for me. I've got Louisiana Tech and Miami in the Walk-Ons huh. Independence Bowl, and the only reason why is because I want to see Manny Diaz's tenure just go down like a shipwreck. I, <laughs> and they lost to FIU, and I figured maybe Louisiana Tech has got something cooking. Maybe they'll be able to knock off the Hurricanes, but uh, I'm, I'm not a Manny Diaz fan, the, the whole turnover chain uh, type culture and him leaving Temple after two weeks, and I, I, I'm not a fan. So I, I will be dialed into this one, if only to watch Miami hopefully lose. How about that? They lose to FIU and still get a bowl bid. I yeah. know. It's not good. No, not good at all. All right, my number 10 is one of the first games out of the gate on the 21st. And, and it maybe it is because it's one of the first games, and I'll settle in because I'm excited about bowl season. It's the New Mexico Bowl between Central Michigan, who we play next year. So it's kind of a chance to scout a little bit against South uh, San Diego State. 
Uh, San Diego State a four-and-a-half point favorite in this game. And this New Mexico game down to the years has been a pretty entertaining bowl game. A lot of points usually scored in this game. So for me, number 10, the New Mexico Bowl. All right, on to number nine. As surprised I was to see number 10 on my list, as surprised I am that my number nine is all the way down at number nine. And I got the Orange Bowl all the way down at number nine. Florida-Virginia, it's one of the biggest games. But in terms of the matchup, I'm just bleh on. Um, I, I know Perkins is a really good player for Virginia. Um, you know, Florida has the ability to move the ball at least some. Typically, they're the most boring team in America to watch. Uh, but I've got I've got a, a New Year's Six Bowl all the way down at number nine. Okay. There you go. My number nine, I've got another one that I, uh, I'm not all very proud about putting on here, but I've got the Sugar Bowl between Georgia and Baylor. Now, had this game actually taken place in the regular season, it'd be a must- or be can't miss. But now you have two teams that kind of don't want to be there. But what I'm banking on is for Georgia to not show up, essentially, and they get clobbered by Baylor. And then you have the whole, you know, SEC fans who have a meltdown, and then, then Georgia has to control the narrative by saying, oh, well, we didn't really want to be there. So I can't wait for that conversation to happen. But, again, this is, a, this is, another, this is another hate watch for me, Georgia-Baylor and the Sugar Bowl. Georgia didn't show up last year. Remember, they That's got right. beat by Texas in that game. That's and right. You know, everybody's like, well, they just were so disappointed. And, and that is the thing about when you get to a conference championship game and you lose it. I, and, I, and maybe this is a project for Austin because he loves doing these type of things, is go track the loser of the conference championship game over, say, the last five years. How have they done in bowl games? I bet it's not very good. Yeah. I'm going to put him on that. I'm going to text him right now and tell him to do that. <laughs> All right, my number nine, I'm going to the Liberty Bowl on December 31st. Navy and K-State, this game might be two and a half hours long. I mean, these two teams run the football so much, and K-State still huddles. I'm not sure if Navy huddles. I'll watch the Army-Navy game this week and see that. But this game might be – the clock may not stop in this game with these two teams. It could be a really clo- – in fact, the, the line's basically a pick em between Navy and Kansas State. So the Liberty Bowl, number nine for me. All right, on to number eight. And, again, uh, surprised I have typically one of my favorite bowl games to watch every year. Um outside my top five is not something I'll probably ever do again, but matchups just meh, and especially considering one of the team's circumstances. I got the Cotton Bowl all the way down at number yeah. eight. Penn State and Memphis, Coach Norvell will not coach Memphis in the bowl game. He's already headed to Tallahassee to take things over, so um, you know I, I would be excited to watch Maryland's offense work against Penn State if he was there, but he, he won't be. So, I mean, this game's kind of just... It's a Cotton Bowl, so it kind of has to hold a place on my list, but I'm, I'm not too fired up for it. Didn't make mine. My number eight, and I'm, I'm moving it firmly out of territory of, of hate watch games into games that I, I hope I'll enjoy at least. I've got uh, Boise State and Washington in the Camellia Bowl, and uh, it might not be the most enticing matchup on paper, but definitely I'm a sucker for a storyline. You have Chris Pearson who's going out in his final game, possibly of his career at Washington, co- coaching against his former team. And, you know, it, it kind of is an interesting matchup, I guess, a little bit, even though I just said it wasn't a second ago. I mean, you have um, a, a group of five team, but ver- definitely a very talented one that can kind of gun it. Also, Washington, their their defenses over the years, especially since Chris Pierce has been there, has been uh, impressive. So, uh, and, and you guys were talking about the top 150 coaches uh, early in the show. I think uh, Chris Pearson actually cracked that list. I think he was somewhere, oh, in the 50s 58, or 60s. I think. Yeah. So, so again, I think I think Chris Pierce is going to be missed uh, in terms of that college football coaching landscape. So, definitely going to miss that him. one. 
<laughs> I'm right there with you. I have the same one at number eight. I, I think this is this is almost like that NCAA tournament game where they match a coach against his old team just to kind of be honorary. That doesn't really work that way in college football, but I think it's going to be a really good matchup. It's on that December 21st, so I have two games of my 10 on that December 21st. Uh, so I've got the Vegas Bowl here at number eight. Cool. All right, on to number seven. My number seven, I got the Gator Bowl here at seven, Indiana and Tennessee. And my intrigue on this one is, you know, Tennessee's been a lot like Nebraska, mm-hmm. but now you get an SEC team that's matched up with little old Indiana. And, and if Indiana can find a way to beat them, uh, I think this is a perspective in Knoxville, but even in the SEC, to say Indiana is a team that hardly ever makes a bowl game, if ever, and they just beat Tennessee. So uh, I'm really, really pulling for Coach Allen and the Hoosiers to get that one done. You know, I think there was a lot of people that kind of wanted this to be the game in the Music City Bowl in Nashville. It would have been really close for both fan bases to drive to, even though this was the year for the Big Ten that the Gator got the pick over the Music City Bowl. They thought, well, maybe they'll trade it out and let Indiana go because you can get in the car and get to Nashville from Bloomington or Indianapolis in a couple of hours, but off to the Gator Bowl they go. Yeah. Well, my uh, number seven, Greg, I think you already mentioned it, Navy and K-State and there in the Liberty Bowl. And, yeah, I mean, color me intrigued. I mean, you have a ranked service academy playing in a bowl against Chris Kleiman's Wildcats. And they've been really, really good in year one under K-State. And, uh, you know, that's uh, – sign me up. I mean, hey, it, it's going to be an interesting matchup. I, I would probably side with the Wildcats in this one, but uh, it'll be close. I, I like this matchup. Heck, yeah. Like I said, it's a pick em, And Navy plays Army Saturday. I'll be watching some of that. My seven, I match up with Ben. Here's where I've got the Gator Bowl with Indiana-Tennessee. Very good. All right, on to the number six. And, and the rest, I mean, it, Gator Bowl was, was certainly a game that I'm interested in, but – um, eight, nine, and ten for me didn't really move the meter a whole lot. These these last seven, I, I am really excited for, and and this one included, and really hoping this one uh, goes better than the last Big Ten opponent to play this team. I've got the Outback Bowl here in Minnesota and Auburn. Um, certainly hope it's not another Purdue waxing uh, <laughs> than than what we saw last year. But Minnesota's had a great year. Auburn just coming off the Iron Bowl victory. This would be a huge win for P.J. Fleck if they could find a way to knock off Auburn. And, again, these Big Ten SEC matchups always have me intrigued. So um, I'll drop my oars in the water for Minnesota for for one game. I'll root for them to win. All right, my uh, number six here, I got uh, USC and Iowa. Ben, you already mentioned it. And, you know, this one, Ben, you're talking about having a sick to your stomach feeling about Nebraska. Well, I have that same feeling watching Iowa play in a bowl game while Nebraska sits at home. Mm -hmm. Uh, It'll be tough to watch. But the the thing I'm I'm curious about in this game is is how are the Trojans going to respond? How are they going to play? I mean, Clay Helton, uh, the news of him, you know, sticking on as head coach, and uh, basically USC fans are tearing their hair out. They're in agony (laughs) over that decision. And so I'm kind of curious. I mean, is this kind of the beginning of the end of Clay Helton, or do they maybe they come out firing on all cinders? We'll see, but it definitely it's an intriguing matchup. I'm right there with you. I've got the Holiday Bowl at six. This is the last year for the Big Ten having an association with the Holiday Bowl. It comes off the Big Ten slate, so I will be will be for at least a while the last Big Ten team to play in the Holiday Bowl. So I line up with you, Tim, at six. On to the top five. Uh, pretty excited about this one. The Citrus Bowl. I got Michigan and Alabama. Um, two teams that uh, probably weren't expecting to play in this bowl before the season. Definitely the case for Alabama. And and if Michigan want, wants to regain some of that respect and start to, you know, put put that Harbaugh can't win the big one to bed, this is the perfect opponent for them to do it. 
is Bama fired up to play in this Citrus Bowl? I don't know. Not a not a power, not a group of six, six bowl. Yeah. Not a, a championship. Nothing really on the line. This could be a winnable game for Michigan, in my opinion. Oh, you're and, calling your shot. You're calling. I'm a not shot saying here. they're going to. I'm saying they they typically I would just write them off in any sort of big game, but. Um, I think they have potential to beat Alabama in this game, and and I think that would, at least for a little while, calm the waters in Ann Arbor, at least until they played a, another rivalry game next year. That's a tough one to follow, but uh, at my number five, and I almost left this one out, but but I kind of talked myself into it. I've got Oklahoma and LSU there in the Peach Bowl, the college football playoff, and you think about it, I mean, it's going to be a hard one for Husker fans to watch because the, the Joe Burrow talk has been in the news, and you, you really can't, if you look at it, you can't blame Scott Frost for not taking Burrow, um, giving all the all the facts and details they had at the time, but but still, you can't help but look at that at Joe Burrow playing, and you can't help but think, what if, and so he's fun to watch. He's probably going to win the Heisman. Also, on the other side, you got Jalen Hurts, who you talk about all the quarterback transfers. He's another Heisman finalist, and so it's... He, he got spurned by Alabama. He got, you know, demoted, and then he goes to Oklahoma and leads him to a playoff. So he's got kind of an incredible story going. So definitely in terms of two quarterback storylines, there aren't many better bowl game matchups, at least for this year. How about all three quarterbacks that are going to be sitting in New yeah. York on Saturday night transferred? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Something. <laughs> Isn't that something? All right, my number five. Um, you guys, I think Tim had this earlier. Here's where I have the Sugar Bowl. I've been fascinated by the Baylor story, and I've been trying to relate this to Husker fans, that two years ago, Baylor was 1-11. And now here they were on the cusp of maybe making the playoff over the weekend. If they would have beat Oklahoma in that Big 12 title game, I think they would have got the number four seed. Um, I think that's inspirational for Nebraska to look at, that what you are now isn't what you're going to be in 12 months and certainly not what you're going to be in 24 months. I think Baylor's a pretty good role model for Nebraska to look at. I'm fascinated by them, and I'm going to be interested to see if they can go pull an upset on Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. So that's number five for me. I have that same game at my number four, Georgia and Baylor. And and I'm intrigued in this too. I'm really kind of hoping Baylor puts one on them just i'm tired of hearing you know how great georgia is and you know i'm typically a pro georgia guy um of all the sec teams to me they're the most tolerable but they didn't impress me at all this year that loss to south carolina was awful and you know really both teams greg need this one yeah they they, they need to win this game because Charlie brewer back by then he should be it was a concussion for him well, how about that freshman that comes in and throws <laughs> no <laughs> throws two passes um but yeah i mean i sugar bowl to me is always one of those fun games it's in georgia's backyard um we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes but i think for for season salvage reasons it's big for both teams at uh, number four, I've got the Camping World Bowl. I'm not sure if you guys have mentioned this one yet. Mm-hmm. You might want to pitch a tent for this one. You got Notre Dame and Iowa State. And it's kind of a weird matchup because Iowa State, they're 7-5. and five. And so at least on paper, you'll, you think of that and you're like, okay, why are they playing Notre Dame? Well, they had that two-point loss to Baylor. They lost to uh, Oklahoma State on homecoming. They had the they had the one-point loss to Oklahoma. They got, uh, I think it was a 10-point loss to K-State. But they had a lot of really, really close losses. So in another universe, Iowa State is a uh, a very dangerous team with a lot better record. But uh, I think they have a lot to prove against the Irish. I mean, the Notre Dame, they had a very solid season, but they got kind of drummed by Michigan, and they had the the loss to Georgia. So, I mean, I'll be curious to see. I mean, maybe it's another situation where Iowa State, they, they kind of you know sneak up on Notre Dame because they're not expecting the Cyclones to 
put up much of a fight, but definitely uh, I will I will be dialed into the camping world bowl. No, the Irish were ten and two, and you're right. They got they got stomped by Michigan, but they played pretty well against Georgia between the hedges. Mm-hmm. Those were two tough road games. Why did they not get more consideration for a New Year's Six game at ten and two Notre Dame with their following? I'm surprised by that. You know, you look at it. Virginia, and I think it's because of a conference affiliation. But there's Virginia with four losses in the Orange Bowl. Got boat raced by Clemson. Even Wisconsin with three losses. And again, it's the tie-in with the Rose Bowl in the Big Ten. But I was just surprised Notre Dame didn't get a little bit more consideration for a New Year's Six game. All right, I'm at number four. I'm going back to Texas down to the Alamo Bowl. Texas against Utah. How does Utah come off of the loss to Oregon? Texas will be fired up. I think Texas will see this as kind of a a last chance to kind of salvage the 2019 season. They're going to have all the fans there in the stands. It'll be a huge home field advantage for them. Usually the Alamo Bowl is one of the more entertaining games every year. I think this one could be as well. I am out on Utah after sticking up for them on this show. Um, done with those guys. They blew it. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't care to watch another snap of Utah right. football so this year. They didn't make your list. They did not make my okay. list. And and Texas is going to win this game, and they're going to get up on Ooh. the podium and say, we're back again. They might. You're right. No. Um, I, I This is one of those games where I hope both teams lose. I think Utah is favored by a touchdown. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Good for those guys. I might. Um, Am I ne- oh, sorry. Am I cutting someone off? Yeah, no. it's Ben's turn. Okay, go yeah, ahead, Do you ben. mind? I mean, it's all out for now. Okay. All out for now. I'll let you know when I'm finished here in a second. <laughs> My number three, I've got the Rose Bowl here, Wisconsin and Oregon. I, I love these conflicting styles. It's not quite what we had a few years ago with DeAnthony Thomas and LaMichael James uh, against that Mane Ball team where Oregon was just zipping up and down the field. But it's not entirely far off. And uh, – yeah, I'm excited to watch it. C.J. Verdell against that defense. How's Herbert do against that defense? Watching Bond work against that great Oregon O-line. And how does Oregon's defense, specifically front seven, hold up against Jonathan Taylor? So, and, and the Ro- it, it could be Arkansas State and Tennessee Tech in the Rose Bowl, and I would watch it. Just it seeing okay? that field and all that. Is it okay if I root for Oregon? I'll allow it. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm root for Oregon. You should, you should feel bad about it, though, Greg. I hope you know. Because um, there's people that believe you got to vote, you got to pull for your conference. To me, it's, to me, it's all it's all who it is. Well, so I'm not rooting for Iowa. I can yeah, tell you that. That's true. I think I think there are exceptions, but generally, and that kind of segues me into my number three is Minnesota and Auburn in the Outback Bowl. Ben, you mentioned it. Yeah, you kind of have to want to row the boat for Minnesota, not because you're a fan of PJ Fleck or the or the Golden Gophers, but because of perception and I think that goes a lot into how the the call the playoff committee votes and stuff it, it's, it might not be fair it might not be right but I think a lot of people look at that matchup even though Minnesota they've had a great year they're ranked 18th I think a lot of people assume the Tigers are going to win that game pretty easily and I think that if Minnesota pulls off that win maybe none of us here would be surprised by that but I think a lot of people uh whether they're on the committee or not uh whether they're SEC fans or, or not I think would be pretty impressed uh with them getting the win of a, a an opportunity that's fresh off a win in the Iron Bowl so uh yeah di- dial me in there for the for the Outback Bowl okay my number three I line up with Ben I've got the Rose Bowl all right on number two Peach Bowl LSU Oklahoma trying to see if Oklahoma can hang in there um we're starting to hear you know some people in the Big 12 saying uh, you know, this is this is a conference that plays defense. We'll find out how much defense they can play against LSU. So give me OU LSU number two. 
My number two, uh, I think you guys both already have this one, Michigan-Alabama in the Citrus Bowl. Uh, no Tua, and again, you always have the, the, the question of how motivated is Alabama going to be. Uh, but you, know, you got two blue bloods going up against each other. It should be fun either way. Okay, my two, I'm following Ben. I go Peach Bowl, Oklahoma, LSU. My number one, I have and the... I'm, 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 I want LSU to win. Okay. I have... Uh, the uh, the Maui Hawaii Bowl at number one. No, <laughs> Clemson. Good call Clemson Ohio State. <laughs> I don't really need to say a reason. Okay, Fiesta right. Bowl number one. Uh, yeah, I uh, I wish I could 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 say the same. Um, but yeah, now I'm going to go with Clemson and Ohio State and the Fiesta Bowl. I mean, you have the defending champs and a, and a Buckeyes team that have basically looked all but invincible. So uh, you know, you got Dabo, you got Day, Lawrence Fields. You know, what more do you want? Uh, I think it's three for three. I, I just I don't know how you can't be salivating to watch that game. The defending national champs against a team that has been maybe the most dominant team throughout the year in college football. Great matchup. I know where I'll be at Saturday night watching that game and locked in, and it should be a lot of fun to watch that thing. A couple of minutes left of our Tuesday night show. Mentioned some news about some former Husker football players, or sus- I should say suspended Oscar football players. KETV is reporting that Andre Hunt and Katerian Legron were both booked today. Hunt booked on first-degree sexual assault. Legron, first-degree sexual assault. Uh, more details to come during the Wednesday morning press uh, police briefing. But there's Andre Hunt, Katerian Legron, who both were suspended for two and a half years by the university for an incident that took place in late August. They were suspended by head football coach Scott Frost the week of the opening game of the season. And uh, the coaching staff has had no further comment about either player. The story came out last week that the university came down with a ruling that they were being suspended for school for two and a half years. The two players' attorneys have filed um, an appeal on that. They did meet the seven-day deadline to try to have that uh, sus- shortened, that suspension shortened. Uh, both players have entered their name into the transfer portal. And then today... Both players were charged with sexual degree assault. So the charges have not been filed even as a week ago, but they were filed today. So we'll have more. Keep your eye on that story uh, moving on down. Well, uh, Huskers are now almost a week out from signing day. It's a week from tomorrow. So the days are counting down on this. And the Huskers are sitting at 14 commitments for this class. And you got some room room to go because I think this staff would like to have 20 to 22 that get signed here in the early period. So that means they've got some work to do. We'll continue to monitor that as we get closer to that December the 18th date for that. Nothing tonight other than uh, some, some rumblings about Omar Manning, the terrific junior college wide receiver from Texas, indicating that he may wait and not sign until February. So he may not be a December signee. He's, he has said Nebraska's at the top of his list. He did get an offer from Texas A&M over the weekend. I know this has been a prime target of Nebraska, a terrific wide receiver. Nebraska, certainly that's an area of concern for the Husker football team. So we'll continue to monitor that. I'm going to take a couple days off. You're going to be in good hands, though. Ben and Nate will be with you for the next couple of nights. And then on Friday night, no show, Husker basketball as they take on the Indiana Hoosiers, who just tipped off a game at the Garden in New York, part of the Jimmy V Classic, taking on Connecticut. Uh, they're just two minutes into that game, so still some college basketball into the late night hours. 